Hello, everyone, and welcome out to The Good, The Bad, and The Geeky, a podcast where I sit down with some of my friends in the local Columbus, Ohio theater, film an improv scene, and talk a bunch of geeky stuff. Some of it good, ooh, some of it bad, but all of it definitely geeky. If you enjoy our programs, be sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and to leave a review, or subscribe and leave a review wherever you can get podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from our lovely backers on Kickstarter, like Anthony Portillo, for example. Anthony has been on a few episodes, just like a few of our previous backers on Kickstarter, and we don't get him on much, but when he does, when he is on, it's always a lot of fun. And it's and I used to work with Anthony, and it, it's such a it's it's one of those things where I found out he was a local filmmaker, and you know, me and him, like I'm not as well spoken as him. I mean, obviously, but if you listen to any of these episodes, you can tell quite quickly that I'm not well-spoken. But Anthony is, is is very well-spoken, like all my other guests, but he really cares and is compassionate about film of all types. And you can really hear that when you hear him speak. So check out those episodes if you can. Anthony, thank you again for backing us on Kickstarter. Our official sponsor of the show is Audible. With over 200,000 titles to choose from, get one audiobook and two Audible originals each month included with your trial, even once your trial ends and normal membership begins. How rad is that? Best part is you own your library, meaning you keep the books even if you cancel with Audible, plus you get easy exchanges. So, don't love a book? Swap it out for free anytime. Sign up for your free trial over at audibletrial.com forward slash goodbadgeeky. Download the Audible app and start enjoying your new audiobook. In this episode, I am here with... Sean Wheeler from Cinema Wheeler Tay. Woo! And we're going to sit down and talk about Joker on this episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Geeky. And a word of warning, there will be spoilers aplenty, not just on Joker, but just about anything that we may talk about. So listeners, please beware. And is there anything you want to say about Joker, comic books, or anything else we talk about in this episode? Uh, join in on our conversation by interacting with us via social media or email, Twitter, and Instagram as username goodbadgeeky at gmail.com or just goodbadgeeky. And we may read your comment on the show. Enough on my end. First of all, Sean, this is awesome because this is technically our season finale. Oh. It is, which I have not told anybody. <laughs> it's technically our season finale. We're still recording episodes, but we're we're letting them, we're going to start working on opposing roles. But so we get to go out on Joker. Ah. Oh. Which is, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting and it divides everybody for multiple, multitude of reasons. But uh, first off, for those who don't know, you are from the Cinema Wheeler Tay podcast. Yes. And uh, you are the brother of Scott Wheeler, who was on our Godzilla episode, our 400th episode with Scott. You're, you're Scott's brother. Full disclosure, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, and, and just so I can just throw out there, are you older or younger brother? I am the older brother. Some people think it's the reverse sometimes. <laughs> well, at least people tell me that to be nice. I think it's pretty obvious at this point, though. For those who don't know, let's talk a... We'll, we'll, well, we'll, we'll talk about the character first, and then we'll get like just real quick hits, real quick. Mm-hmm. The Joker character, 
premiered forever ago in the Batman comic books. And uh, who was he based? So you said this the other day, and I completely blanked on the name. I thought who? It's an old comedian. Or yeah, well, it was actually based Bob on Hill. a silent film. I think it was from like 1928 called The Man Who Laughs. It's based on him, Victor Hugo. Um, a novel, and I and I believe it's Conrad. I'm gonna I'm gonna mispronounce this guy's name. Veit. It's V E I D T. Veit. Yeah. He he actually played the central Nazi in Casablanca. That's his, probably his best known American role. Okay. But was uh, he the, German or was he? I believe he. I I don't know if he was German. I should probably like wiki this at least. Well, I also uh, didn't tell you we would be. If, you know what I mean? No, so. no, no. That's fine. I, I'll look this up if we don't mind. With the but I know that uh, in the in the movie. Just full disclosure too. I'm a huge Batman fan, and I've been yeah. for 30 years since the '89 Batman came out. Yeah, it's V E I D T, so it's Veit, and he is a German actor. You're absolutely right. Okay, the character of the Joker, for the most part, has many many particular traits, and one of them is is that nobody knows what his origin is. Yes, consistently, like, and and it's the beauty of the character. It's all, and it adds to the mystique of the character, but it's it's also. And it can be dangerous if you try to show the origin. It mm-hmm. can go both. It can go multiple ways. It can be good, but usually the ways that are good they make it questionable if that was really what happened. I know Mask of the Phantasm kind of leaned towards. I think was it Alan Moore's The Killing Joke origin, where he was a stand-up comedian. Uh, um, I think it was also a mob boss or something. Well, and- I think uh, Mac- Mac- Mask of the Phantasm kind of drew from the 89 film with Jack Napier being the alias. Well, I think they hinted that Jack Napier in well, the animated series was the alias. Yeah, it was the alias. But yeah. Uh, you're right. It wasn't the, the... But that's from the movie, not the comic books. The comic books never, well, like you said, revealed sure. that. Well, I, I just remember, I think they did show him doing stand-up or something, or he was outside of a comedy club. Which, well, he might have, which yeah. was hinting towards because he was also a mob. Lead. Now, I think in Killing Joke, he, wasn't he was. At, oh, he was a mob guy. No, thought, he was. He was strictly a stand-up. He was a failing stand-up comic, right. and I think his wife was pregnant at the time, and he was trying yes. to hold them up. And he got involved with the mob because he was so desperate, desperate. for cash. Yeah. Right. So he's like the everyman. It's like a, almost like a Hitchcockian tale, where like the average everyman who's failing. Yeah. And nothing's going right for him. Everything's going in the right. I love that story, by the way, the killing joke, highly recommend it. And uh, not Uh, to spoil it for those who haven't read it and hopefully will read it. But I mean, I think Batman points out later, he's like, well, I've searched down those leads and none of them add up to anywhere. So I, so if you've heard that origin from him, it's probably a lie. Yeah. And, and, And so then it's just, well, is it truth or not? I find that to be one of the best parts of the Joker, like dark Knight's take, getting kind of into what you were saying, Heath Ledger's take was, he goes, one of the big recurring things, they did it three times, so it's not a joke officially, but like, for the Joker, I guess it is. He's like, you want to know how I got these scars? Yeah. He's like, my father beat me. And what is it, the Gestapo smile? Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's what they the call knife? it. Yeah, ugh. Terrifying, yeah. and I, I'm so glad yeah. they didn't necessarily show it, because I was like, right. they're going to show this. Oh, God. But then he, Maggie, Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, he's like, do you want to know how I got this smile? I just, I did it myself. He's like, why so serious? And you're just yeah. like, okay, w- w- wait a second. And I think during the interview with Batman, he changes it again. Yeah. That is one of the defining characteristics of the Joker. It's always keeping you guessing as to where he actually originated from. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so what's interesting about this movie, and I didn't think of this until tonight, is that what if the whole movie is a lie? Yeah. <laughs> and I, it did not hit me until today, and it made me appreciate the movie more. So, because we're, th- we're oh, half hour into this, <laughs> um, 
quick hits on the movie. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Wait, this oh is yeah, the, that this yeah. is the season finale, so it, it's all it's all gravy. Perfect. Um, the quick hits is of it. My first instinct watching the movie was it was it was a good movie. I just didn't want to see it ever again because oh. it's a weird thing, and 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 I kind of think there are multiple factors on why I feel that way. First off, there's a lot of bad shit going on in the world, and it just it gave me conflicted feelings of. Because I feel like with Scorsese, ironically, because mm-hmm. the week this movie came out, it's, yes. it's also a Scorsese love letter because it's technically Taxi yes. Driver and uh, King of Comedy. Yes. Uh, especially King of Comedy, yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And Bob De Niro plays the talk show host. And yes. He was the lead comedian. I use that quotations lightly <laughs> from King of Comedy. But mm-hmm. so I feel like that stuff going on too mixed with just my fear. And also, I'm not going to lie. I was nervous I was going to get shot. I, yeah. I just just because of the way the atmosphere of the the country's been, I was nervous. And when we went into Dublin, they did have an armed guard there, and I instantly go like, oh, I feel a little bit better. But I, so because Sarah's like, are you? Are, my wife was like, are you? Are you okay? And yeah. I was like, I thought you were excited for this. I was like, eh. you know, I I I, I won't lie. There was definitely an edge when I went to see it. It was on the Thursday night, which was the opening night. Yep. Before I got in there, I'm like. I normally don't do this, but I, and I felt that way in 2012 after seeing The Dark Knight Rises because we yeah. bought advanced tickets for that. It was the day after the shooting in Aurora. Was it Aurora where yeah, I, I took place? Yeah, I think it was Aurora. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was based in a Batman movie. Yeah. And I was devastated because like, man, I love Batman, and yeah, Batman's world can be dark and melancholy. Probably. And there's, but there's also, I'm going on a side tangent again, but there's, okay. there's a. The animated series, I think, best encapsulated Batman's world in which everything is deeply tragic and sad. Yeah. There's a melancholy, there's almost a fable-esque quality to that show in the way it presents yeah. the villains, which is what I always responded to it, is that Batman's villains are just regular people that were shoved aside by society in one form or another, and it forced them into crime eventually. Which is important for this movie. Yes. Because that's technically... So, and again, I will say, like... Even in the Killing Joke, and even kind of a Mask of the Phantasm, and not not as much a Mask of the Phantasm, but in Killing Joke, especially that origin of Joker, it is kind of tragic. Yeah, because he's he's just trying to do white by his family, and then you get the sense towards the end before he gets the dump into the chemicals that his wife is may or may not be cheating on him. Uh, yeah. There's a weird subtext that his marriage he thinks his marriage is great and it's really not yes and and in that in itself then becomes more heartbreaking because he's doing everything for the family yes and and you know <laughs> it's awful it's 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 a really heartbreaking story when you're reading about it. i remember right. as a kid reading it like i was like 13 years old it was around the time the 89 batman came out and oh, i'm yeah. like like i said i love the I, I love the Jack Nicholson portrayal. It's 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 something that's near and dear to my heart because Nicholson's my favorite actor. It was my first experience with that, and I love what for what it Nicholson is. I love is that performance. Yeah, he's movie. he's he's amazing. He's basically James Cagney at the beginning of that film as Jack Napier. He's basically channeling Cagney. Oh and, yeah, yeah, in those old '30s gangster movies, which were Warner Brothers productions. Can I, can I say my favorite memory of that movie? There's two of them. Sorry, yeah. uh, which is when he's in the the seat and it's just him behind him. He just he just holds his hand. I was like, "Yeah, give me, give me the mirror. Give me, give me, give me the mirror, or yes. whatever." That just—I mean, he doesn't really say anything right away, but just the the hand action. Oh, I love that. It's, it's so good. It's right out of the silent film. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, come on. And then he starts going, "No, no." And he starts quietly starting once he sees his face and what it's oh, become. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> and he starts doing that cackle, it's and he's—it's—it's so, it's, it's wonderful. It's my, one of the best scenes in the movie. And then my favorite other scene is, um, and I don't—I feel like people are now starting to come around to the song, but Party Man, the whole him going yeah. to the museum is 
absolutely one of my favorite Joker scenes ever. <laughs> if you want to be entertained, I hope they're on YouTube, but there are interviews of Nicholson. It's for like the anniversary. I think it's like when they first came out on Blu-ray or DVD. Awesome. He's talking about it. He has a Batman like button on his like lapel of his sweater in this interview. This is how great it is. He's talking <laughs> about, like, uh, I took this role. And he's it, it's like, I wanted to... You know, kids love it when you scare them. You know, and he's doing the Nicholson eyebrow stuff, and he's just talking about how much yeah, he loves the character. And he goes, awesome. "You know, I took this role a little bit more seriously than most people. Like, uh, you know, his the wiring in his mind isn't right. I mean, he just he goes, he just uh, survived nuclear waste immersion." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first off, great word, immersion. Yes, immersion. And, and, yeah. and then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but he's 100% right. Yes. Well, and so they don't do that in this movie, at yeah. least that we've seen. And no. we don't know. Well, and again, that comes down to, so one of the big twists of the movie, uh, or, I'm sorry, let's get into your quick, I, I gave my, no, no, your quick fine. hits yeah, on Rebel I, I gave my take on everything but the movie. No, right it's there. okay. It's okay. Um, I really enjoyed enjoy is a strange word for this movie, like you said. Oh, no. I, I I really I was moved by this portrayal and it channels Travis Bickle yes. and Rupert Pumpkin and and there's something that really affects me when I see a character that cannot is struggling to connect on a social level with anybody else. Like he is trying really yeah. hard to connect and, and find it. And anybody who's felt like an outlier at some point in their life for one form or another, mm-hmm. you, 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 you cannot avoid empathy for a character oh, like yeah. that. It doesn't condone his later actions. No, not That's the tragedy of it, though, for me. It's not it's, – it's that all of these events and all the things that he's processing get to a point where he just keeps being pushed and pushed and pushed till he has to do it. I don't know what the difference is between someone who is able to keep their moral grounding – and stay foot like no matter how angry I am at the world and how I'm not connected with anybody, how I'm staying intact, yeah. that I'm not lashing out. There are people that just have that in, and then other people, it just like their brain wiring just keeps going over. Now, he was off his meds, no joke, not literally yeah, yeah. off his meds at one point. I think that was like the final straw that pushed him over. Yeah. And I remember feeling the same way about Travis Bickle when I watched Taxi Driver. I was like, man, I feel so sorry for this guy. He's trying yeah. so hard to connect. He just doesn't have the tools to connect with anybody or and relate no to anybody. And no one is giving him the tools to help him. And some of that no. stuff, the tools that he does have are being taken away. And Rupert Pumpkin, like, you feel bad, but at the same time, Rupert Pumpkin is more like the Michael Scott of criminals. Like, he's just, there's no self-awareness, and he is kind of self-centered in a way. He just yeah. keeps pushing himself. Like, he's owed something. And I think that De Niro, I, I compared De Niro's performance in The King of Comedy more to, like, Steve Carell as Michael Scott. Like, just like, just like, ugh, it makes you wince, but you're laughing at the same time, but oh, you're also yeah. like, oh man, this guy is just... And, and just for those with context of you who've not seen King of Comedy, it, Jerry Lewis is, yeah. and that in itself, and I remember I rewatched that like a year or so ago, and I mean... I'm sorry, Jerry Lewis. I feel hasn't really acted in much of anything, no. except for the, his special MDS specials. I'm not a fan of the comedy. Let's put it that way. Usually, so, well, yeah. But in that, he was phenomenal. He was, he was fantastic. Yeah, and, and you're just like, and he's a prick in that movie too. Really, in his own way. AKA, he's Jerry Lewis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's playing himself. 
It's a, it's a phenomenal performance, though. His it reactions is. are... It's the total opposite of what you normally associate with Jerry Lewis, where he's exactly. over the top. It's really deadpan, really droll. And very and very grounded, too. He looks like Lou Reed in that movie, too. He was Lou really- Reed. <laughs> Damn, that's a good... Yeah, okay, okay. I always felt that, which makes sense in Scorsese's world, in a way. Oh, uh, but... That's true. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. So those two films borrow heavily from Scorsese, or this film mm-hmm. borrows heavily from those two films. Like, the scene for me that broke my heart was, oh, it was a twofold thing, is that the one guy gave him the gun mm-hmm. and told him to protect himself, but then he's telling everybody else that, you know, he was, he was asking me to buy the gun. And you're just like, well, wait, no, that's not what happened. And, then, and he does try, he can't get it out. He does try to tell his boss that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Wait, did he say that? I, no, what actually happened was, and then he just keeps, and it's, it's heartbreaking. And then when he gets pushed too far in the subway, your first instinct is he's self-protecting himself, mm-hmm. and then it goes too far. Yeah. And, that, and it's that weird thing of, and I think maybe that's my other fear, is being a fan of Joker for so long, it's weird to humanize the Joker in a, in a way. Now, granted, this is yeah. not ultimately the real Joker, that mm-hmm. was, like it's not Heath Ledger's Joker. It's not even like Mark Hamill, or it's not going to be this other Joker. I don't think they're going to do a sequel. Yeah, it's a standalone, and I hope it stays a standalone. I will say that because I enjoyed the movie immensely on some level. Yeah, um, but I I think so. That was the other thing that kind of bothered me was just that it was, me as a human being going, I am empathizing with him, yeah. and I feel as a. The writer part of my brain goes, you should never empathize with that character, and you are making me empathize with it, and it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) To me... I think that's the point of the movie, though, too. To me, I I think I come from the perspective that this is probably a dark perspective in a way, but I think like most people... All of us are capable at some point of probably snapping and doing something horrific. Yes. It's not something you want to think about. Right. And the only reason I point that out is not to say that most people would do that. What I what sure. I am saying is that there's culpability internally, no doubt. Sure. You can't take that away. And I abhor violence. I think we all, most rational people do not enjoy it. I, I'm with you 100%. Um, but I, I do think if you see... Just on a day-to-day level, if you go around with different people, there's some people that you absolutely love and they're really admirable people and you love being around them and they're Mm -hmm. life-affirming. And then there are some people that bully other people and push them down. And if if, if you see people that are awkward or weird, don't really fit into the vernacular of where you're standing and they're not fitting in socially, you know... All of us, I think, sometimes have a tendency like, oh, I want to push that away because that's making me uncomfortable right now. Right. And yet... When you watch something like this or Taxi Driver, you're realizing, you know, maybe we shouldn't, be doing maybe we shouldn't always bully, you know, utilize people so, to prop ourselves up, I guess. So you know? my wife's perspective. So this is technically the first Batman movie my wife have seen that kind of showed the origin of Batman. Yeah. So, for example, my wife saw Man of Steel with me in theaters and then she went and saw um, Batman vs. Superman. She has never seen 89 Batman, yeah. which to me is one of the iconic origins like, in terms of film or right. TV. It's very well done of you know the, the pearls and all that stuff. And your take on whether Joker's part of the origin or not as Jack, that's mm. debatable. That's right, either, but yeah. You still show Bruce's parents getting killed. I mean, she hasn't even seen the newer movies. So to see this one, she this was her first origin of Batman, but it's not even really about that either. Um, she would approach the film as a teacher who deals with kids who have IEP, which is, you know, 
they are mentally challenged or they, they have some of them are just very high functioning. Maybe they just have AD&D, but they have some kind of issue that makes learning an impairment for them. Mm-hmm. And and sh- and she's just like it's just showing as you said how the system's failing and then how people help make the system fail and then help him fail. Mm-hmm. And she approached it like that and and I and again I saw all that when I was watching and but it, it helped me appreciate it even more is right. that like and I will say too and she brought this up and I never thought of, she's like how many movies have you seen where it shows the lead character with mental illness as the lead and not the second character that's being taken care of by someone else. And yeah. I was just like, you're 100% right. right. And and we need more of that. Right, we do. I, I, uh, there's a part of me wishes it's not the Joker, though, right. but... No, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> I think what's, what's boggling people's minds is, with this movie, is, you know, Taxi Driver is another example of a mentally ill person taking front and center. And most of that movie yeah. is based on Travis's perspective. Yeah. yeah. Which is brilliant. And this movie channels that. And what they're applying to it is a beloved IP. Like, the Joker yes. is probably one of the most beloved characters in comics, which is strange, because he's, he's a psychotic so, killer, but he is. but he's... But let's face it, we are drawn to villainy. Like, Darth Vader is popular for a very oh, specific yeah. reason. Of, yeah, you know, every villain is popular for very... Well, because here's the thing. The villain... Good villains, in my opinion, not only are justified in their right... They make you feel that they could be justified. Yes. And that's the fear. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes them dangerous. Like, right. I remember growing up, again, this is more kid age stuff, even though I feel it's a good movie. The animated Lion King. Like, if you've been in any relationship with a friend or a family member, there is that weird family yeah. dynamic and you get jealous. And how? what point does that go too far well, you, you have a brother. You probably yeah. know that. And he probably oh, yeah. has the same feeling. Which is like, I don't think you and Scott would throw each other off a mountain or anything. No, no, no. We probably, when we were kids, yeah. had our moments. But, well, you know, well, no, never especially. But, yeah. but that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, you do feel kind of bad for Scar on some small level that – and then you realize, oh, he also has the cojones to pull this off. Mm-hmm. And technically he does. He's one of the few Disney villains that sur- – he got what was like – Simba grew up. So it was like, what, five years? He yeah. ruled the Pride Lands into – yeah. But I feel like a good villain does that. And I feel like with, you know, in this one, you definitely see that side of how Arthur, our Joker in this film, definitely got to that point. Yeah. It is also scary. And my wife mentioned this too. I did not catch on this. It also discusses mob mentality, especially towards the end of the movie. Yes. The mob mentality. And that's scary. And actually, we're living that right now. We are. And 100% uh, right. (laughs) Which it's heartbreaking. It is. Um, And it tackles that as well. And, but I mean, yeah, there's just so much to unpack in this movie. There is. And uh, which was, which, which is what beautiful is beautiful about it. It's a movie that you have to discuss with people and, and discern and, yeah. and break apart. And that's, I love when you, you have a movie that you can actually discuss what it's trying to say. And I, and I care a lot about the things it's trying to say too. So yeah. not only do you, are you hitting a lot of those nerves for me, you're also packaging Batman on top of it, oh, which makes exactly. it like, geez, that's, that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. I, I, I think the thing that's throwing people off, like I said, was the IP thing. And Arthur Fleck, I, I think people struggle empathizing with somebody they know is going to be a killer. Because I think there's an element of all of us that wants to say, if you're a killer, you're a monster. You're no longer human. Yeah. And I get that the acts are. But the truth is, they're, a human being did these things, not a monster. Right. It wasn't the boogeyman. It wasn't you're the headless horseman. It was a human being. And I think in order for us to 
to understand things, we have to accept that this happened with a human being. There's a human three-dimensional so person design. who did this stuff. And that makes people very uncomfortable because then they have to kind of analyze, oh, there might be aspects of all of, of us that have. Yeah. And not, most people would not go to the extremes that a, oh, no. a psychotic killer would go. I don't want to go off on a side tangent, but I feel okay. like one go thing that could prevent a lot of this from happening is not giving everybody immediate access to guns. <laughs> No, or I, weapons. No, I agree with that. 100%. When you have that kind of condition, uh, well, I mean, look, I, in all honesty, it, and this is my take on this, might be controversial. I okay, so this is my irony. Actually, this is the truth, and I was thinking of this today, and it made me feel horrible. To kill time, I will play video games now. Mm -hmm. Wait for it. Call of Duty released their mobile app, where you can play multiplayer for free. For those who don't know, Call of Duty is a war game where you kill other people. I have been obsessed with that game for the last three days. It's just killing time. No pun yeah. intended. It's it's taking time from the day. It's making the day go by faster. But I hate guns. I, at no point do I ever want to hold a gun. My dad worked at a correctional institute, and I remember he brought a gun home one time, and he's like, I hate even having this here. Yeah. And, and he's like, do you like guns? I was like, I mean, no. I mm -hmm. know what they are because TV and movies. And he's like, do you ever want to fire one? I was like, not really. He's like, well, good. I won't tell you where I I put it, and then he and he never did. Matter of fact, when I moved out, he I finally saw the gun, mm -hmm. and he's like, "I'm selling it because I don't yeah. want it." And the only reason why he kept it is his boss gave it to him, and it's one of those like. And so I think when his boss came over, he would pull. I was like, "Here's the gun. Mm -hmm. It's now up over here." But like, yeah, he didn't. And so I feel the same way, which is weird because then I'm playing a game mm -hmm. where I'm going around, you know, tackling people. I guess you could say is another. You know what I mean? It's a yeah. weird thing, but at the same time, I also like people shouldn't have assault rifles no it should not be accessible to people like i don't i don't understand how you can get with because here's the thing the smaller guns can still kill the terrorists they if you're can. that fucking worried about it and, and i don't think we've outlawed shotguns that can do no. some badass shit too <laughs> yeah. if you want to go down that path i don't agree with that path but you can do it I am with you 100% on that. So, yeah. but so yeah, that's another weird thing I've been dealing with too on top of all this is going I hate guns. This is how I feel about mm -hmm. guns. I am also now playing a game where I'm holding a yeah. gun all the time. Ugh. And then also I have weird feelings about this movie where it mm -hmm. talks about how this guy got a gun, defended himself and then took it too far. Yeah. It, it's 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 a weird thing, man. And it, 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 oh, it is. It's 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 not an easy I want to bring up an example. The first major kill, like yes. the one that really, like, well, there's a subway scene we, we could talk about, but I'm talking about when his friend who sold him the gun or gave him the gun, which is ambiguous, yes. gets butchered in, in, in Arthur's apartment. Damn. That is so deeply tragic. That whole scene, because that guy, whatever he may or may have not done, did not deserve to be butchered sure. to the degree that he no. was. I mean, it was brutal. And distorted, and 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 then watch his friend had to watch this happening, right? And I'm like, I, I know, like you know, some people love these scenes, but I'm like, I'm deeply disturbed, disturbed by this whole thing, and I don't like it at all. I don't like what happened. It's tragic that Arthur went that far with his own friend. It's it's tragic that this other his other friend had to watch it and was fearful of his life and he did nothing he was a nice guy yeah and then arthur makes a joke about it as he's leaving you know which well, is he tries to scare him at first which yeah is, well i will say this, this is interesting that to me is the only scene in the movie that is joker 
Yeah. That I know from the comic books, which is it's Molly terrifying. You have no idea what's happening. <laughs> right. I mean, because the irony of the maybe is irony. It's the, the well, it's it's tragedy too. But the irony is that he's like, you can go ahead and go. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to do anything to you. Whoo! <laughs> and then as he gets to the door, he realizes he can't reach because he locked the men. He, yeah. He can't reach it, Arthur. Arthur, could you? And then it's yeah. it, and you're just like, Ugh. oh god, that's such a like. A, that's a Batman animated series Joker. It's a yeah. comic book Joker scene, and it and it's and there's a part of you that just goes, "Oh, yeah." It's kind of darkly funny, but it's not at all because no. what preceded it was just god awful horrible. It was it was horrific. Uh, yeah, I mean, didn't he also like poke out his eyes? Yeah, too? he did. It, it was just like all the blood that squirt. I mean, it was so realistic and it was so quick. <laughs> and I mean, it, it, the way it was edited was brutal. Yeah, and it, it was effective. I'll say that it was effective filmmaking. Yeah, it, it got a reaction out of me. It's not like that's not the fun side of the Joker when he's electrocuting a gangster with a joy buzzer, you know, and frying yeah. him to death and talking to the corpse. It's a different, oh, different it, it, level altogether. Totally yeah, um, it is. It is. But, but and that's the weird thing is that, and I felt like they did balance that. So like that's the only one they have in the movie, and it it does balance out. I mean, and it also though dramatically, it, it's tension. Yeah, it is. Which is like, is he also going to kill that, that guy too? Now, I don't know if this happened at yours, but in this, this, this is the other reason why I think I, I had a sour taste of the movie a little bit when it was done. There were kids behind us. First off, they were talking throughout the whole movie and mm-hmm. they were like 20 year old. So they had no fucking excuse. They weren't even on their phones. I turned around and looked, but when he, uh, the guy, uh, for those who don't know, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but he was a dwarf. Um, or a, a smaller mm-hmm. individual, they just started laughing. And he had no funny line. He didn't do anything funny. They just started laughing at him. And that pissed me off. Yeah. And I just go, this movie is condoning yes. that kind of behavior. And yes. that's what terrifies me. And so that's why I feel very conflicted about the movie. Because I did enjoy, like, Joaquin Phoenix... He needs to get an. He needs at least to get a nod. That, uh, it, uh, it, he <laughs> is. In, he is like the Olivier of the maladjusted outsider. Because I'm watching this. <laughs> like I mean, he makes. He is so awkward, beautifully awkward in in, in the ways that you need to be to play these characters. Because if you watch the master and you watch her, and there are different variations oh, of yeah. that, but they he nails the maladjusted, socially awkward outlier to go a step further and i i i, I feel this way and it, you might have to watch you probably are going wait what and it just mm. if you watch gladiator yeah. it's almost the same thing but yes. in a completely different way as well because he's of a higher statue but he's just as maladjusted he's he doesn't really fit in with what's going on around everyone hates him yes um by default because he's all, he's the emperor's son yeah and that alone is why they don't hate him but then also he's maladjusted and then he just is a he becomes a dick. Yeah. He's and self-loathing. He's, yeah. And he's self-loathing too. And so it's, it, and that's another one where it's like, you kind of feel bad for him mm-hmm. when you realize that, Oh, this is Maximus is going to kill that dude. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah is, exactly. It, Even if Maximus goes, right. He's going to have the golden fields of wheat. Boy, <laughs> you're going to have shit. <laughs> it's, it's very Shakespearean. It's like the guy who does not deserve to be King gets it and knows that nobody believes that, but he has to, there's Napoleonic complex on and and try to prove himself <sighs> to, to but everybody. But he is so good at that. Yeah, he, he is. is. And also, like he, uh, and this is another flashback to To Die For. 
he kind of plays another very he like his whole yeah. career is made of those very yeah that's a well good that's a good point that's what i say like it, like i i told it to scott well before the joker came out i remember i was discussing like he is he is the master of playing these maladjusted social outsiders the master ah. yeah de niro pioneered it with taxi driver but De Niro doesn't play that character as frequently. Joaquin really looks like a guy. If you saw him on the street, you probably would be like, hmm, I, I don't know, that guy. Well, even when he plays more grounded characters, um, like what was the – oh, and this is horrible. Uh, my brain's not me. With the vi- – oh, he plays the detective. It was based after the old – Oh, it- uh, you're talking about the Anderson film, right? Anderson film, yeah. Um, what was uh, the something name of Vice uh, or something? Yeah, it was a Thomas Pynchon uh, novel. Yeah. But – I watched that and it was very good and it was very a Thomas Pinch novel from what I've heard those are like and it was good but like even his character in that is a little little off, <laughs> a little off yeah yeah and he's just good at it. when your most your most well adjusted character is Johnny Cash that says something right <laughs> now. accurate a hundred percent accurate but yeah. Is there? I'm trying to think. Is there anything else that you would like to touch on with Joker? Well, there's I mean, so much. There, uh, there is yeah, so much. That's so what I'm much, saying. Uh, number one, uh, one thing I, I was shocked that Todd Phillips had this in him because I, there was nothing in his filmography that suggested yeah. he could make a movie like this. I'm conflicted about him too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, cause recent it, comments, <laughs> right? And it's just like, dude, you're doing nobody any favors. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I I listened to a few podcasts recently, or maybe like uh, on you know like uh, I think a Screen Junkies. I was listening to them discuss his recent comments about like just avoiding talking about the content of this movie too in any intellectual way. Like, well, you're directed this you obviously put things into this and you're not prepared to talk about it in junket interviews or anywhere yeah it's kind of strange and then of course the woke comment about comedy which is look i love blazing saddles and i love classic mel brooks and monty python i I grew up on that stuff i love it but i don't i'm kind of tired of the 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 blazing saddles argument that you couldn't make it today if you make it today own it and just say this is what i had to make but you have to be careful that people know you're punching down with that, you know, because Sheriff Bart was the smartest character in Blazing Saddles. Yeah. And that's why it worked, because it was anti-racism. It was using racism like Mark Twain did to show racism is terrible and shouldn't exist. Right. But I don't – you have to have a certain level of talent to pull that off And first off, you have Mel Brooks yes. doing that. And then also, I think he was also smart enough to get Richard Pryor yes. to do all of Bart's dialogue – yeah. Uh, or no, no. I'm sorry. It was no. Brooks did Bart's dialogue. And yeah. Pryor did all the racism. Yeah, stuff. he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pryor wrote. I think uh, Mongo was like yeah. the character he worked Mongo. on. And I love that because Pryor's a comedic genius. Anyway, it's like, yeah, you're gonna yeah. hire that guy. Bring him in for all of the whole pie. But you're 100 percent right. He owns uh, it. And and Phillips Phillips comments there. Yeah. So I've heard. Yeah, to the point where now they're not doing really any interviews unless it's Joaquin Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, he's not even really talking about <laughs> no, the movie. He's... But he's always been that guy. Yeah. Um, like, I watched a Jimmy Fallon interview with him. And at one point, he he kind of – and I, didn't, I don't really – I don't think it was a bit. Like, it started off as a bit, and I think Jimmy was getting frustrated because he wasn't being uh, – Yeah. Even on some level with it. Like, he was being difficult. And then so Jimmy got up to get something or do something, and then he got around the desk and sat down, and he's like, I just want to interview you. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then, remember the stint ten years ago with Letterman, which was infamous, oh, yes. where he did the Andy Kaufman bit, where he was pretending to go and. Well, I don't know if it's even an act half the time with Joaquin. I think there's always an element of Joaquin, know. right? And that's the yeah. But with but but again, with I still feel like there's some art going on. Yeah, just, it's like Shia LaBeouf. There's something happening. Yeah. It could be drugs, yes. but it's also probably some art stuff too. And it's either both or one or the other, but either way, something's happening we just don't understand. Yes. Um, which is, I mean, he was a genius, but Andy Kaufman kind of sometimes the same way too. Yeah. But like, if you, Todd Phillips though, totally don't see, like, the fact, I really, I, there's a part of me that wonders, because I feel what Keen did an interview, uh, was it on Stern or something, where he did open up a little bit where they found the movie in the re- in, after six weeks of shooting. It wasn't reshoots. They had to add reshoots because of it where there was stuff that they were doing with the character and it wasn't – it was working, but it wasn't working as well as it, it needs to. Mm-hmm. And then I go, well, what did they add? Because it, it feels very fresh and fully formed. It does. So I don't know. but and, and I also know, though, too, Todd Phillips prescribes to, at least from what I hear, from the mentality that Judd Apatow does, which is where you have the script. It's a great guide, but let's do some alternate takes. Mm-hmm. I'm free with doing whatever you want to do. But I, I just don't know if he has the mentality. There's a, that part of me that makes me sad because then it means too that the art that was created there wasn't a good intent behind it. Mm-hmm. So even though the people in front of the screen, it the intents there, and maybe whoever wrote it, but like Phillips, the director who's running the ship, yeah, that's what scares me too because he didn't he do that frat boy movie like he did like old school and hangover but hangover yeah didn't he also do a frat boy movie or something that got banned like they they, they can't show it because he actually filmed might have underage, yeah bad things happening i i yeah. don't know and then he says the shit he's 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 a bro basically isn't he he's he like is. the worst aspects of but, a bro but here's the thing you know yeah. who's a, you know who's a bro and you know what i would still i don't hate him michael bay <laughs> Yeah, he is. My favorite is. joke in Mystery Men yeah. is he plays one of the bros, and he just goes, can we get another brewski? And was it uh, Jeffrey Rush? is like, no, you may not have another brewski. Whatever. <laughs> but that's Michael Bay. Yeah. And I was like, that's totally Michael Bay. Yeah, that is. But yeah. at the same time, he's also the dude. He's like, I like to film explosions in a beautiful way. It's like that commercial he did. <laughs> yeah. Explosions are going on back. And I was like, that is his bro level. Yeah. And he totally owns it. Yeah. And he never tries to go outside his bubble. He's an auteur's bro. You know? He's, <laughs> he's the auteur. He's, right, a, right. he's like, I'm a, I'm a bra tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a bro, but in my own unique way. Right. You know? But Tom Phillips is purely a not cool bro. Yeah. Um, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I hate saying the word bro, too. That's the worst I, part of this whole conversation, but it's the best way to describe what's going on with Todd Phillips. I love every minute of it. No. Yeah. Uh, so I watch Rick and Morty, and they always describe, and I like that spelling of the word. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's they, they're, so instead of saying bro, B R O, they spell it B R O H. Bro? <laughs> and it's like, we got some deep shit happening. This one, bro. Uh, that one to me is acceptable. Right. <laughs> so if someone, oh yeah. But no. So Todd Phillips. So that was another thing because the movie is expertly shot. Yes. And 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 here. So here's the thing too. People can always say the movie can be saved in the editing, and they're not wrong. Right. But at the same time, you need a cinematographer and you need a good director that's guiding the ship or guiding him, and the film looks. Uh, it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like it does. I, I, being that I haven't seen all the other films yet, I, I, it's, or I know what's even nominated. I can't say, but like, 
they deserve a nomination. He deserves. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is the this is the other part of it because I I don't like the man himself, which goes into right. the argument of do you hate Bill Cosby? It's probably yeah. a, a next level up because we know what he's done. It's tough when you admire the work. To, like I try to disassociate the work. It's hard. It's hard. Phillips hasn't committed a crime. We'll, we'll, we'll give no, that. That's that. true. Yes, he has 100%. not committed a crime. All he did was say something that just rubs. I mean, Mark Maron today came out and just chastised him. He's in the movie with his comments about woke comedy, yeah. saying like, if you're not, if you're not capable of making edgy, outstanding comedy without offending people or punching down, then you're in the wrong profession. Essentially, you're not very good at your job. Which- Random, yeah. Uh, yeah, Mark Maron's in this movie, everybody. Yeah, he I, is. I, it's a weird. It's character. weird. And it's, he's good <laughs> for the five seconds he's in there. I mean, and you also kind of feel bad for him. Too, I know, like <laughs> he warns Robert Henry. He's like, "Are you sure you want this guy to go on like this? Yeah, or you want yeah. him out there at all? Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine." I didn't know he would be playing like the equivalent of waiter number two in this movie. I was like. Like Mark Maron, I thought would get a little more grit. I thought he might, might have been one of, one of the stand-ups that he encounters right. as he's trying out. But no, he's just a, a stagehand essentially. Uh, well, I, I thought he was more probably more one of the producers of the yeah. show because, uh, well, again, my knowledge of producers is what I know from like watching The Late Shift and then watching, uh, which is the movie about Jay Leno and Dan yeah, Leno. it's really good by the way if you haven't seen it. Um, but also, uh, oh shit. What was that other? Oh, uh, the Larry Sanders show. Yeah, he looked like Rip Torn. Yeah, he did. Where he's off to the side. Yeah, and he's just going. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, I, I, he just had a. He looked like seventies, eighties Gotham ish. Like mm-hmm. he looks kind of rough around the edges because it's Mark Maron. Yeah, and but that would be the difference. But yeah, it's he shows up and that's bizarre and weird. Yeah. Um, uh, De Niro I enjoyed in this, although Murray Franklin's a terrible comic, too, so that's the, the uh, irony of it. <laughs> it's yeah. just really tired, like 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 lounge lizard bullshit well, comedy. Well, but do you think that... In now, a funny way, now, yeah. Not to... Uh, now, I, I regret saying this. I know it's going to... This is probably the only offensive thing I've ever said in the show that's really bad. That will piss people off, probably, and it won't at all, probably at all, either. Um was Johnny Carson the same way though? Yeah, well, I would yeah, say this. I would say this. He's he's definitely cut from the Carson cloth as far as like that. Carson I think was a bit sharper, like very sharp, like, you know, he could hit things out of the park. If you listen okay. to like Dana Carvey's impersonation of Carson, you still feel the cadence of how he can hit that stuff. But when you watch Carson's interviews, and I have done that recently, like he was very astute and very knowledgeable about everything. Like I've seen interviews with with David Bowie on Carson promoting like scary monsters, which is a total antithesis of what you would associate with the Tonight Show, which yeah. is the ultimate mainstream show. And he's like, "This is a wonderful new album called Scary Monsters." Like Johnny Carson's listening to Scary Monsters at home, and David Bowie, <laughs> it just yeah. blows my mind that he he was like really astute and breaking things down musically with him. And though what did what did Carvey? Sorry, you said this. And I went on that. Yeah, but no, I, no. what did Carvey say though when you do the impersonation? And you, you say one thing that's real, and then you make up the rest of the word because he's like, uh, yeah. he's, he gets pulled over by a cop. The, the, I love that bit. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. just like, uh, sorry, officer, I just went over to the 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 purple moose. <laughs> yeah, you're just like the hell. Yeah, it's... he's like, is that a real? Is that is? Go ahead, Conan, do it. All right, hey, is that a real drink? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just went to the yeah yeah. And, sorry, and officer. Like but... Four other drinks. Yeah. Um. So Todd Phillips, yeah, that's and that it is interesting, and that's a common thing we're dealing with today overall as a culture is se- trying to separate 
the art from the artist. Now, again, yeah. you're, you're 100% right, too. He hasn't done anything that we're aware of yet. Yeah. It wouldn't, but here, I guess is the other thing. It wouldn't surprise me if he had. Yeah. And that's yeah, what makes me. Where sad. there's smoke, there's fire kind of theory with that. A you little know? bit, yeah. And, and, um, but, and also, I just feel like there's no. And if you watch all his movies, it seems to make sense that that's what he believes in. And because, yes, those movies are funny. I enjoy some of the humor in them. I doesn't mean I would condone any of the actions of those characters no. or whatever, but I feel like Todd Phillips would. I, and I, that, that bothers me. When you watch a movie like Animal House, which is a frat comedy, it was the original frat comedy, yes. that, that movie is absolutely brilliant. It's absolutely oh, yeah. extraordinarily funny and brilliant, and it's satirical. And it is. I think people took that concept and they wanted to reenact it versus looking at it as you love the deltas cuz they're outsiders you love the deltas cuz they're on the lower end mm-hmm. and they're just scrappy they're trying to and they're fighting the they're man they're funny and they're fighting the man you know there's yeah. this established corrupt institution Dean Warmer is a substitute for Nixon in the Nixon administration. Oh, he's my favorite character in the movie. I, I think uh, John Vernon's fantastic in that. John Vernon's fantastic. Even in he Killer is. Clowns in Outer Space, yeah. he's, he's not, even though he's slumming it there, he's doing great work. <laughs> the double secret probation, I will quote endlessly because it applies to so many situations. Double secret pro- That's right. Yes, and there's a secret console in the, the Faber Institute Constitution that allows the dean to have unlimited power during times of cr- campus crisis. <laughs> I mean, it's brilliant. It's like good Watergate. It's basically channeling Nixon. And then he goes, it's time for someone to put their foot down. That foot is me. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, Harold Ramis is a true comic genius, and so is yeah. Doug Kenny, and and, all the, and and Landis is problematic, too, in different ways. You he know? is. And Literally, that's... death occurred on his set. And, uh... and, and that... And it's really funny. Is that and I like he, that movie. No, well, <laughs> Not that section, but that movie that, in general. Well, and the thing is, what's sad, too, is that that section of the movie... It's it's tragic because of what happened, yeah. but it is actually oh, like the story that he is trying to tell. It's sad that the care wasn't given behind the scenes that they were trying to show in front of the camera. Yes, because that did hit home, and that's one of those ones too yeah. where it's like he's technically Archie Bunker, but the worst version of Archie Bunker. Yes, and then he's put into situations where people have to. So for those we're talking about the Twilight Zone movie is what we're talking about, and. There's multiple segments directed by different mm-hmm. directors um, and writers. Joe Dante, I think, did one part. Joe Dante, which is fantastic. Uh, he did the one with the psychic kid. Right? Yes, it's a good life. Is he directed yeah. that segment? Uh, Steven Terrific. Spielberg did one, which it's the worst thing Spielberg's ever. It's the worst thing. Here's the thing: it's cute, and I do like how well it's put together. But I yeah. just don't care about anything. No, in it. and no. that's where he fails in that. But uh, <laughs> but multiple directors. It's like an anthology series. Yeah, it, it's an anthology film, and and like. Uh, at the time, I think John Landis directed the segment instead of Spielberg. They both produced, and then they gave Joe Dante a segment and George Miller, who directed the Miller, Mad Max movies. Right, yep. and, 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 and Happy Feet. Yes. Don't forget Happy Feet. Oh, we, we can't like forget to, Happy Feet. I like feet. to throw that one in there <laughs> no. because people go, the fuck? And I was like, <laughs> he did. There are three sections of the movie that are worth seeing, and, and it's really good. First of all, Jerry Goldsmith's score is fantastic throughout that whole Goldsmith film. Goldsmith is but, good at everything. Yeah, he's a genius. The opening segment with Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks, which Landis did direct, Far exceeds his actual segment. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's a f- prologue of the whole thing. And yeah. they're riffing, and it's comedy gold for most of it. 
Then you get to Dante's segment, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. which is creepy in the way the Twilight Zone should be. It's almost the one that most exemplifies, I think, the Twilight Zone series. Yeah, and they well, they're all redos. Though. They're all re- remakes of the, of the original episodes. John Lithgow's is in there too. Oh, it's a fantastic performance. Well, so John yeah. Lithgow is one of those guys where I could just watch him do anything. Yeah, me too. And so, so did you ever watch The Crown? No, I heard he's great as uh, he plays uh, he plays Churchill. Churchill. Now, but but when I first heard that, I was like, oh. Misfire on yeah. your part, sir. Especially in today's world, you're <laughs> yeah. gonna play an old. You're right. gonna play a short, fat British guy. Yeah, he fucking kills it. <laughs> and and thing is, when you, I remember hearing an interview, like he took it very seriously. He interviewed people because he's like, I don't want to be an American who gets this wrong. Yeah. like he took it very seriously. And you're just like, damn it, he's so. Good. Yeah, I know. So I expect nothing less from him. But Joe Dante, he pretty much played the William Shatner role from yes. Twilight Zone, where there's a gremlin on the plane. And he's fair because nobody gets into a manic panic like uh, Lithgow, you know, where he's just eyeballing it out. I mean, I'm nervous just watching him from the get-go in that segment. So. And he, he has one of those voices, too, that when he and, – and he can play it uh, to comic effect and dramatic effect. And the exact opposite of that is not to go on a weird tangent. Is Third Rock from the Sun? Oh, yeah. The, his comedy performance, and so sometimes it's just some of the same stuff, but adding a little flair to his mm-hmm. throat of how he sang sang it. It's like, well, what do you mean? Yes. You know, and it's just like, <laughs> there's something on the plane. You know, it's the same. Yes. Well, what's great about that? I'm glad you mentioned that show because there's a you can watch it on YouTube. There's a great clip. William Shatner was guest starred on Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, he played the big, giant the big head. head. Yeah. And there's a great bit that I think went over most people's heads at the time, but except for people who've seen the movie, yeah. uh, where William Shatner's character comes out and he goes, uh, how was your trip, sir? And he goes, oh, it was terrifying. Uh, I kept looking out the window and I saw something on the wing of the plane. And then John Lithgow goes, the same thing happened to me. <laughs> And it's the greatest inside joke in the history of pop culture happening in front of you, you know. And so, oh, see, and that's uh, sad. I, I, I don't feel like kids today would, even if they no. watch that, they'll watch it because of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. And and they might find some stuff funny. Uh, oh, and Dennis Nedry from Jurassic Park's in it. Yeah. That's all they're going to take away. And that makes me so sad. Yeah, no, but that's, that's the scene everybody needs to see, yeah. especially if you watch the Twilight Zone movie and the TV show. Uh, but Landis, and they directed, and, but mm-hmm. uh, Vic Morrow, was it? That Vic Morrow was the, the, actor, the actor who, who, who was killed. killed. And so was the child actor. And yeah. it was on Landis's watch. And pretty much Landon just, Landis just dropped the fucking ball. Yeah, he and did. a lot of people died, and it was horrible. To the point where Spielberg just... Disavowed him. Disavowed him. And I've heard a rumor, so I, I thought we talked about this, but in the Gremlins movie, there's a Twilight Zone poster in Billy's room. Because mm-hmm. um, Dante directed it, and he thought, oh, it's a loving nod to Steven. And I've heard a rumor where now that he, it got cut because it was kind of prevalent, and he's just like, no, Landis is involved. Yeah. Cut it out. I don't want any part of that. Because I just, mm-mm. And I'm like, ugh. There's a nice little uh, Easter egg. It's not. It's like almost like a pre. It's like a, a, a non Easter egg Easter egg in the Twilight Zone on Gremlins because if you watch the Nightmare segment with Lithgow, yeah, there are musical cues by Goldsmith that are like da 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 da. da. They're very subtle. I love those, and that becomes the Gremlins villain theme the following year. So which it's is really... so. Oh man, Goldsmith was so good. And <laughs> yeah. And by the way, for those who don't. This, I think the one song everyone does know by Goldsmith, even though you might not know it, is the theme song to Rudy. <laughs> yes, he and, did, and and it's phenomenal. And and so if you if you're hearing us throw the word genius around, and you go, mm-hmm. no, 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 you've heard this your entire life. They reuse it in every trailer. The Academy Awards use it all the time. The Emmys, everyone uses yeah. it for like 
whatever segment they want to, like of in memoriam or whatever. Or it's like this year was a great year for comedy. He also did the theme, the patent, which I love. Like it's that's Goldsmith. Yeah, yeah. So weirdest patent reference, and I didn't. I'm sorry. I watched a clip of it on YouTube. I watched the opening to Big Bird Follow That Bird and the movie opens up with a pen reference. <laughs> the whole thing is a giant flag and Oscar the Grouch comes out. That's and right. Yes. And I'm just like, holy <laughs> shit. And, I, and I, my wife was with me and she's like, what is going on? I was like, this is a weird movie reference that's yeah. 10 years way past when the movie came out <laughs> was 10 years I think because Patton came out what se- early, mid 70s 1970 actually yeah. right on the so, crisp so yeah. 15 16 years they're doing a fucking Patton joke yeah what the hell it's like, amazing it's so oh, you know yeah. and I have to say like I really enjoy Patton as a movie regardless of your feelings on war yeah I George C. Scott delivering that opening monologue is compelling as hell. I mean, oh. it's it's really entertaining to watch. One of my favorite made-for-TV movies, I think it was Showtime, but when I finally saw it, we watched it in school, was the, uh, the not the jury room. Uh, it, was it the jury room? No, 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. With uh, it was an all star cast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It oh, was great. George C. Scott. He played juror number four, uh, not four, was it? Three was the asshole that mm-hmm. wanted to just kill the kid. Yeah. And then juror number 12 or 11, the Henry Fonda part in the original, because um, Lee Cobb, I think, played the original, right? And yeah, Lee J. Cobb was in, in the film. Yeah, yeah. That's a great performance, too, man. Oh, oh my God. Uh, Lee J. Cobb is amazing well, in that. So, yeah, a lot of people remember Fonda, but when I watched that movie, oh, I remember Cobb. Cobb. And also, I can't think of his name. Was it? It's Jack something or other. He's, I think he passed away just a few years ago. My... Was it Jack Warden was in that? Warden. Yeah. Yeah, he played the sports guy. I loved Warden. Which Tony Danza played in the new one. And Tony Danza is another guy who's like, if you give him a good part, he can fucking act. Yeah, I loved him on the original Taxi series. Oh, That's his dude. best. Like, yeah. Fuck who's, who's the, the boss? boss. You go to that Taxi. Fuck Taxi's my boss. favorite show, so that, that's, I'm biased. I mean, yeah, Don. Um, what was it? Don Juan. He plays the dad. He's really good yeah, at that. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's a little chintzy, but he does good in as Angels in the Outfield. Yeah. Um, but but no I yeah I that whole movie with Jack Lemon and George C Scott mm-hmm. going off each other that's great was I mean it was hard. and Gandolfini was in there in the, oh, in that and yeah. so was uh, I can't think of his name uh, the guy who played Grissom on uh, he was in um, Palance right yeah. Jack Palance uh, not not. Palance Grissom and CSI. Oh, I thought it was thinking of Grissom and uh, No, sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, that would have been great. I'm on the jury now. I'm on the jury now. I can do push-ups with one hand. And also, you can call me Curly. That's right. Or Curly's brother, Merly, or whatever. You are not men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, isn't it weird? Like, as he got an older, he started to sound more like the caricature yes. of people who did Michael Douglas. Yes, that's Which, exactly. That's a very, he's like, how do you say? Like, he actually, yeah. so Jack, it almost felt like Jack Nicholson was doing him a little bit. Yes. Oh, there's one scene where he's channeling him, like, when he's, like, in, Bob, just remember, you are my number one a guy. So he's channeling <laughs> Palance, which I love. So, and the thing is, is, like, I also wonder, too, would Nicholson tell him he's going to do that? Or just Nicholson no. just fucking did it? I think he just did it. And then it. I'm just like, because Palance is old school Hollywood, which is, yeah, you he respect was. me. Because even Nicholson is, too, but Nicholson was the new breed like with fonda the new hollywood guys. yeah yeah so i do wonder if he just did that and pounds is like fucking asshole well, i know uh, I, I, re- I listened to the commentary for 89 where burton said 
Number one, he cast Palance because he needed somebody that would convince the audience that Nicholson res- would respect him, that would intimidate Nicholson. That's good. He yeah. needed a guy, because that's hard to do. That. Nicholson's such a charismatic presence. That's very true. But he also said he was, he was a scary guy, because I guess when Burton was trying to give him directions, like, let me tell you, Sonny, I've been working in this business since 19 so-and-so, and you better not touch. Like, who? if Jack Palance was starting to point his finger at me, I would be scared shitless. I mean... Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, so that's the interesting thing. So, someone who directs occasionally for, like, Mad Lab and do shorts or whatever, this is one of the things that I've never had this experience. I don't think <laughs> I ever will. But if you give a direction to an actor, and they're just kind of like... No. <laughs> Fuck that. And they just do whatever. I've not had that, and that is terrifying that if, is. I, if I would. But, like, that to me is a feeling. Or it's just like superiors, like, do you know how long I've been doing this for? Blah, 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 blah. It's like Bruce Will. Like, look, say what you will about Kevin Smith, but when Bruce Willis would not give his director what he was asking for, mm-hmm. and then he was an asshole about it, there's no need for that. No. <laughs> At no. That, yeah. Because what was it? He just said, look, I'm really sorry, but I'm not getting what I need. I'm, we're going to do take three. What the fuck do you want, Kev? He's like, he's like, this is a weird thing, and I'm so sorry. Yeah. But I'm looking for something that look you gave. What's her name in Moonlight? Like I'm looking for that. Yeah. And 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 he just goes and deep down, Bruce was pissed because he hasn't really acted in that long, and because he's just in Bruce Willis mode. Yeah. And and then finally he did like three more takes wrong, and you could tell he did it on purpose. And then finally the last time he did it exactly as Kevin wanted. And he's like. Fuck you. That's what that was. That was fuck you. And he just walked off or something like that. And you're just like, what the hell what? is wrong with Bruce? Will- yeah. Well, yeah. Well, he started doing interviews where he was being an asshole to people. And I was just like, yeah, you're a douchebag and I don't like you anymore. Well, <laughs> he's, he's a terrific actor, too. Honestly, he yeah. is. He's well, really good. Tom Cruise, I feel, are right now in the same path, which is they're yeah. doing movies that make them money. Yes. And that's good. But at some point, I, I feel Tom Cruise is. I still feel energy from him when he's in a movie, even if it's like an action film. Yeah. That he could go and act and do something else, but he's going to stay in that. Bruce, I just feels like I'm doing this. And he's just like. Oh, it's also he, a douchebag comment to make about somebody who's clearly a fan of your work. If he's referencing something else you did, yeah. that's a good thing. That's something you should not take for granted. Which that is somebody weird, too, because he that. got Kevin the job on Live Free or Die Hard, and they were friends on that, and he got him to help him rewrite the script because it was not great. And then they did that, and it just fell apart. And you're like, yeah. damn. So I've never had that experience. I don't ever <laughs> want to have that experience, and I don't know how I will handle that experience. <laughs> I, but I think Jack Palance was more entertaining getting angry, though. That's the difference well, between the two. You probably have more... It, well, Tim Burton also, especially then, I think that was... Because he did Beetlejuice. It was his third feature film, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 like... So Michael Keaton, yes, but he already worked with Michael and Beetlejuice, and they had a wonderful working relationship. It sounds like, yeah, you know, very creative pairing. So, so and then, but you also have Jack Nicholson, who yeah. possibly is terrifying, and then you also have yeah. Palance. At some point, and and Tim, if you've seen him, especially in that time, he's very much. I feel like he was much more of a quiet individual. Mm-hmm. I feel now he could probably hold his own. Oh yeah, um, or even after Edward Scissorhands. Well, it's, he's dealt with Johnny Depp. <laughs> I think uh, Nicholson and Keaton got Burton really well. Like you know That's what I mean? Good. As quirky as he was, because like, Nicholson started out as an animator, which well, not many people what? know. When I he, did not know that when he moved out to Hollywood, he originally started working as an animator or in animation studios. At least maybe not a full fledged animator, but I think he was working as maybe a an aide, you know, like a like a. I got someone else started. Do you know who else had started that way? And it blew my mind. Beverly D'Angelo. Oh, worked at Hanna Barbera. 
Which she's from Columbus. Columbus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, but no. So Nicholson, no. he got a job as an aide or something. He, he started out in animation and then eventually went on uh, to you know become if an it actor. Was Warner Brothers, Disney. Or was uh, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's out there. I forget exactly which studio he was working for, but I. I don't think he was an animator like like oh, full sure. fledged. But I think he was working in that that but venue. Still, you're like yeah. <laughs> he probably walked by Chuck Jones, or if he was in Warner. Yes. Termite, well, Termite Terrace closed a long time ago. People, I don't think, understand that. They just yeah. assume that a whole group is Termite Terrace, and, and it is. And it's, it's easier way to say that. Group, I was but. disappointed because I went out to. The, I actually took the studio tour at Warner Brothers, and I was looking for Termite Terrace, and they was it was like shoved out to the side, or it's no longer there. I'm like, man, you didn't save that property. That's like is this the one of the most historic things on your your, your whole lot, right? You know. Well, uh, I always thought it was interesting. I think it was the the guy who played Baby Bear. I can't. I think you, you in your podcast was it uh, Freeberg? Freeberg, yeah, yeah. He, Stan Freeberg, yeah. Stan Freeberg. He said in an interview where they would occasionally have to go to random movie sets to record dialogue, mm-hmm. and so they would be sitting there doing these Bugs Bunny voices without being sped up yet, and so it was always a blur because they would just go from Studio A or Studio One to Studio Two, and there's like three different movies being made at the same time. Yeah, and they have no concept of what cartoon they're doing anymore, and I was just like, that's. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So Joker, Joker yes. <laughs> Man, we got we have a lot of footnotes for this uh, podcast. Uh, but yeah, um, so we talked about Todd Phillips. We talked about some of the mental stigma in this movie. We talked about yeah. uh, the gun thing. Now, do you feel the ending was made up, or not, that the whole thing was made up, or do you feel like just the girl was not made up, or do you feel like there are other lies that we just we just don't know, we can't grasp yet? Oh, I think it's a movie that you're going to be dissecting for a long time. I think it's intentionally ambiguous, kind of like Taxi Driver's ending, you know, yeah. where you didn't know if he was just dreaming, you know, that Civil Shepherd came back to kind of connect with him, or you know, he's still in the hospital recovering from all the injuries. Uh, and I think this movie is going to be dissected that way. I don't have a theory that's fully form- formulated. I had to see it a second time to really yeah. get that that going. But I would say with the Joker, mm-hmm. you never know. Yeah, that's true. Just throwing out there, do you have any other thoughts on Joker before we... Let's see. Uh, outside of Joaquin's Phoenix, which I think is definitely deserving of at least of an Oscar nomination. Oh, yeah. uh, and I think it's going to resonate beyond... It's different from Ledger's because their characters are different. Well, I uh, honestly, I don't really consider them the same character. They're not. I mean, yeah. this is more of a character study. Nolan's films were more sociological. Like, they were a reaction to 9-11 in the guise of Batman Year One. Sure. This is uh, a character study, and I love character studies because you're getting into the insights to somebody, how they act and behave. Yeah. If you took all the Batman trappings out of this, this would just be a psychological thriller of a man going insane. Yeah. And it still is. That's the, what's effective about it. It, it, it. That the only thing that is added is that he ends up looking like a clown at the end. That's similar to the Joker in some way. Yeah. But that's that's the only thing that makes it a comic book movie. Really, Can, it's a character study. Now that you said this, it popped in my head, and it's a weird feeling that I feel with right now. I'm feeling with, and I'm going to commit to it, which is, I love Nicholson's purple suit. I love mm-hmm. anyone who dons the purple. So even Heath Ledger's looked good. Yeah. But goddamn the face makeup or whatever. But like, I would like to see a movie that had a realistic suit like Joaquin wore in yeah. this one, where it looked exactly like what you see in the comic book. Yeah. And yet, it feels like I, I love Dark Knight. I even love Nicholson's, but it feels like a set designer yeah. or a costume designer designed that 
found it out. This one feels like they went to a store, he got whatever he could find, and it just happens to be that whatever. Yeah. And that is awesome. It is. It yeah. is. One note I want to make on the character of the Joker, too, in, in film is sure. like, I love this movie. Well, love it. No, <laughs> I get weird, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I admire. And, and think this is a great film. I think it's going to be dissected for years to come. And that's interesting, too. I, I always have this dissection, the difference between movie and film. Yeah. They are the same, but then if you want to go further into it, it's not. Yeah. But I guess you could say, to tie into Marty a little bit, Marty Scorsese, this would be considered probably cinema yeah. compared to The Avengers, which maybe not as much. Even right. I disagree with that. But, I, I disagree, too. Yeah. Like uh, I, I don't like like the snobbery of it just because I feel like, like so many classics – were you know dismissed in their time, and we eventually come back well, to them. Even and, some and, of his yeah. were dismissed as genre films. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, and, if that's your psychological cinema, I, yeah. I mean, and he's normally not a snob like that. In fact, not. he praised Raimi's Spider-Man films. I remember seeing that in an interview. <laughs> oddly enough, I actually saw him praise comic book movies with Raimi's films, the first two. I, I feel like him. It, it's a, <laughs> the boys' club of. I don't know if they even talked to De Palma, but like that group. Yeah, maybe Lucas. Spielberg and Scorsese, but the two who are still making movies actively are Spielberg right. and Scorsese. Well, we know how they really feel about Lucas now, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of and Spielberg to some degree. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of uh, feel like they have their opinions, but it's starting to. I feel Netflix is kind of pissing them off, right? And I feel they're just getting agitated by everything, and that's they're just responding because people. Well, interview yeah, them. I posted about this too, and I uh, and I just want to make it clear: yeah. you could admire somebody and and think they're a terrific artist and you and you and you can respond exuberantly to their work but it doesn't mean you have to agree with every opinion that comes out of their mouth it's okay to have your own opinion and he has his own opinion that's true and it doesn't make you have to like his work any less because it wasn't like it was mean spirited he was just giving his honest take no there's a part of me that kind of gets it this whole summer for me has worn me down of ip movies yeah i think that i can see the fatigue that was the other thing i think with this movie going into so like i said earlier my quick hit was i don't think i i'm fine with never seeing the movie again yeah that's not true. No. But that's how I feel right now. I will probably see this movie within like a few years and it will be and I will probably walk away and feel more more things about it than right. I am now. It's just it's a weird thing going on and that's why I say that because it is yes. a good movie or a good yeah. film as you're saying. It's cinema and it should be talked about, it should be dissected, it should be Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's it's like A Clockwork Orange or Taxi Driver. Those are great films. Yes. I can't watch them every day. If I am watching them every day, I might have to check myself in and say, like, there's something wrong with me because I'm really depressed because I am keep being drawn to these movies. Yeah. And the ultimate case is Requiem for a Dream, which I can oh only watch God. one. That is too dire. I mean, I respect it. I think I recommend it to people. Yeah. I cannot watch it. I've only watched yeah. that. That's another movie I've it's only watched so once. And I just... Dire. I just, yeah. <laughs> it is bleak. What I was going to say with this is, sure. like, I like I loved this. I really like this movie. I love character studies. I really responded to that aspect of it. There's a, a, a fear with me, which is odd, that I think because Ledger's performance was so effective and this, that it's challenging people to make the Joker more and more grotesque. And I've seen it in the comic books where I think there is one storyline. I think it was during Scott Snyder's run where the Joker uh, ripped off his face face and had to tape it back on. And I'm like, this defeats the purpose of what the Joker is supposed to be. The Joker is supposed to look like a clown, just an evil clown. That's the whole irony of it. And I think if we try to make him more and more horrific, 
Yeah. It's like, uh, I'm, I always said, like, at one point, we're going to see him without makeup, and he's just going to be a really deformed, disgusting human being, and they're going to call him the Joker, and I'm like, well, everything that we really so, responded to him is going to be gone. That, see, that's interesting. I thought that was absolutely fascinating, because to me, clowns look like they already have their face, like, painted, like, it's... Yes. Uh, and so, to me, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. But I also uh, read... So, I've gone into Batman recently because of Snyder and mm-hmm. Capullo, both of them. I, was it the Court of Owls? I yeah. have that series, Pack Rat, where I go to all the time. They're like, it's a great I, store, I, by the way. <laughs> it is a great store. I great went people. to them and I went to Teresa and Jamie. I was like, look, I want to, I want to get on the Batman train, and I, but I want to do graphic novels. What do you suggest I buy? And I was like, I'm hearing a lot of stuff about Snyder, but I'm also hearing some other things about these other classic stuff. What do you suggest? And they're like, from what we know of you so far, you need to do Court of Owls. Oh. And that will be a good jumping off point because then it'll lead to Hush. It'll lead to all this other stuff. Uh, de- uh, was it the Bat Family or whatever, mm-hmm. which is part of the Joker's face thing? Because he comes back. He's yeah. been gone for a while. And But no, I read Corvallis and I was like, this is amazing. And I learned stuff about architecture because yeah. they do a weird thing where some buildings all across the country in like the 1900s, they had like weird subfloors to them. So it's probably where, if you want to go further into it, being John Malkovich, that's probably where the seventh and a half floor came from. Oh, yeah. Uh, because okay, yeah. The, the owls would hide in those little spots, that, or the organization would, if I remember correctly. And Yes, I remember that, and yeah. That's, and so technically you realize it's Batman going back and going, I, that's why I would never find them. I, I didn't know it existed. How can yeah. I find them of that? Isn't that weird or whatever? I'm just like, yeah, I, it was, I was totally engrossed with that. So mm-hmm. I ironically, or not ironically, I was interestingly enough, intrigued by that but i do get that you're not you're 100 right too is that you're it's more horrors being thrown into and harley harley quinn too yeah they're more horrors being thrown in at them making that and at the same time it, it, it's sexualizing it yeah horror and horror and in other the actual term i i said so especially with harley quinn and, and joker's relationship that's another thing i <laughs> even as a comic fan like even paul dini who created harley quinn is like I don't like people sexualizing that relationship yeah. and, and, and adding, you know, you should never humanize that relationship because he's horrible to her. She deserves yeah. so much better as a human being. Yes. Not even the fact that she's with the Joker and makes her kind of awful. Anyway, it, it's no human being deserves to be treated that way. And well, I'm just like, she's tragic too, because she's she fallen into this spell. And, uh, with- you know, it's on the TV show. She's much more vulnerable and tragic almost like in, yeah. in a lot of ways. It's the I, writing and the voice acting. Yeah. It's so good. Um, I do love Margot Robbie's performance. Actually. I think she's, ter- she was I the one too. bright spot I- in that film. <laughs> <laughs> the one bright spot. There's a giant, there's a couple, there's a giant shade over it. Yeah. Yeah. You, if you see any light, that's fucking Margot Robbie. Poop people in, in, in Margot Robbie. And that's kind of where I might break that down. I loved her. I actually liked Will Smith as Deadshot. I thought he was really good. And Again, the casting he, stuff in that was good. It was fine, the execution yeah. of said casting. It was bad. Thank God James Gunn is taking over oh the franchise. I think that's a breath of fresh well, air. I, I think I, they haven't. I think they said that he is coming back. Maybe not. But the guy who played Flag, I liked yeah. him. The guy from The Killing, Joe Kinnerman. I, yeah, I liked him. I thought it was not his fault. His character mm. was undercooked, like everybody else. Right. But he's one of those guys that even when he shows up, he comes off interesting he's one of those actors that you go i want to know more of what's making you tick or whatever yeah. even though he's not saying a lot because his part got cut out apparently um so yeah I, yeah and i'm kind of sad he's not in there but at the same time it's like i know for a fact gun is going to 
tell a unique story and I hope yeah. DC will not interfere. Right. Um, yeah, I remember when I saw the... Well, I remember when Margot Robbie was cast as Harley Quinn and I thought back, like, the only thing I really knew her at that point from was, was uh, The Wolf, Wolf of Wall, Wall Street. Street. Yeah. And when I heard the casting, I oh, yeah, that is Harley Quinn. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. And she was brilliant. She wasn't, was absolutely brilliant. Wasn't she also in The Big Short... Where she, she played herself, technically. She's in, like, the bathroom. She's like, let me explain. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I'm just like, in a bathtub. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoever, uh, I think it was McKay, whoever made that movie, because they do another scene later with another celebrity mm-hmm. explaining whatever, and you're just like, awesome. It was. <laughs> like, yeah, if you're going to teach people something, yeah. give them something they didn't know they, well, they probably know they wanted, but they didn't know they wanted, and show it, because you never thought you would see them be that obvious with it. <laughs> oh, by the way, on a side note, I'm a big fan of Tom King's run on Batman, which Tom I guess King? is, yeah, people are off, up and running, but I like Tom King. He took over for Snyder okay. after Snyder left uh, the title. Not that I'm it's completely well-versed in everything sure. in, in, in currently in comics, but I've loved Tom King, especially his relationship, the relationship between Batman and, and Catwoman is really really oh, good I've, well see yeah. I've heard some of the press releases for that and uh, people are getting their p- panties in a bunch over the Catwoman Batman because yeah. they got married yeah um, and I just remember I was like it sounds awesome why are people like I, or at least read it first and then poo poo over it that's because- the thing like it, don't focus so much on the story beats but look at, at like the dialogue and the actual relationships are, that are being depicted he's really good with character and it, relationships which, and I, honestly and I do feel that and especially with comic books especially in film or in their, in their actual born medium of comic books the writer, uh, in a way, the artist, but the it, it's interesting when a, when it's it's now becoming again and known for it being a writer dr- driven medium. Um, Grand, the artist is also a writer too because yes. they're showing you the picture as it's going. Without that, the words might not make a hundred percent sense. But it, I, I love that you can go and look for a writer and get and see their stories because i feel like back in the day yeah it was stanley but sometimes it wouldn't be stanley but you wouldn't yeah. know that no and same thing with dc stuff too you wouldn't necessarily know i think kirby would be the only guy i can remember and bob kane mm-hmm. are the only guys on dc's run that you i could sit there and go yeah that's yeah. it and then when i grew up i think i now kind of i can't remember his name though he drew superman for years was it jurgens Oh yeah, I forget his name. Yeah, he I did know, Batman for a little bit. Then he jumped over to Marvel. Then came back yeah. because he did the the death and, and rebirth of Superman. Right, right. And that's when I was growing. But he was doing Superman for years before that. Not just that he did it like in the, starting in the eighties. I feel like I think. Don't email me on that one, people. Uh, <laughs> I have no comment. I just know that he did do Superman right for a long at some time. point. Yeah, yeah, it's considered one of the long until I think vaguely on Spider Man. It was one of the longest comic runs, and I think before that it was. Uh, What's his name? He drew uh, Ditko, not Ditko. Who's the guy who replaced Ditko and Kirby on Spider Man? Oh. Kirby wasn't on Spider Man. Uh, his son is now, I can't think, of, he, he co created Kick Ass. It's Mark Miller and something, something junior. I, it's oh. it's going to really bug me. He drew Mary Jane. You hit the jackpot. Uh, the, the, that, that famous think of panel. His name. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's really driving me nuts. Um, that is a great panel, by the way. It, it is. Like, it's, the whole thing is just, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I can't think of his name, but yeah. Those guys, it's one of those. I think he had a long run too, and then it was Jurgens, and then mm-hmm. yeah. So, didn't Capullo also do the Flash? Uh, he he drew, might have. I think at he one wrote point. and drew it. I just remember I listened to an interview. It was like a five minute clip it, and he said he was. They're like, dude, we loved how you ended it, which is he was running in the air on the, in the sky or something like that because he. 
it was something weird like that where he's like, I feel like I think there's a, someone's kidnapped, hijacking a plane. And so he just goes to him running towards in the air. Yeah. And I was like, that sounds rad. <laughs> I want to read that. And I, I haven't been able to find that graphic novel. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting that writer medium and James Gunn's doing Suicide Squad. And yeah. then they allowed Phoenix and Phillips to do their take on Joker. I, I agree. Like, uh, I, I think DC's heading in the right direction. I think you're going to see more of these one shots. Like I said, it could go in the other direction, too. Like, I, I think a great idea would to, to do a Superman film similar to the Joker in the 1930s when it originally debuted. And like, do it like amazing. as a His Girl Friday kind of dynamic where Lois Lane could be more Catherine Hepburn-ish. Or, and if you uh, want to go further with it, you could also have it if you want to keep that going, if you want to. My writer brain was like, well, you could do Kingdom Come Superman where he yeah. has the gray in the hair. Oh, oh yeah. Maybe not the storyline of Kingdom Come, but you could do older Superman and then how he fits in in today's world. Right. And then you can – and hopefully you do the good stuff in the 30s that – it, when it carries over into the current day stuff, you don't get into bad Zack Snyder. Yeah. I, you can go into where he was trying to go to, not where he actually went. <laughs> or you could do like the New Frontier or something like that. Okay, that's, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh that would be great. Uh, see, that's my favorite DC story. Actually, uh, oh, is the New Frontier. New Frontier. I just really, yeah. DC, keep it up. We, <laughs> exactly. we want this from you and all your we movies. Do. And they're heading in the right direction. They're getting Gunn involved with the Suicide Squad, the Sadly, Wonder Woman they're not 2. they're keeping him. Oh, yeah. yeah that's the de- well, it's also the good side because we, we get to see how Guardians ends. Yes. Um, which is good. But, but no, there's a part of me that's just like, but is he going back? I heard that he's staying around. I think you Marvel. should be able to work wherever you want as a director. You know? I, yeah, I, I do agree. too, but I, I feel like in today's world, right, we're still... The movie side behind the scenes, sometimes mm-hmm. it still feels like it's almost going back to the studio system where it's like everybody's exclusive to one company because of uh, the yeah. DC Marvel deal. Well, but hey, uh, you know who you know who did it officially on front of the camera because we haven't seen a lot of those. Not, I'm aware of mixes back and forth. J.K. Simmons, yeah, yeah, both. I mean. Well, he had that one shot as Commissioner Gordon. And- <laughs> one shot. Well, so I thought I heard somewhere that he is, if they do the next Batman movie, the Batman or whatever it is by, I forget, Matt Reeves or whoever yeah. is doing it, he is supposedly still, at this time, still playing Gordon. Oh, I thought it was Jeffrey Wright was in the running. Oh, to Jeffrey play. Wright? Yeah, he might Ooh. play Gordon. Yeah, that's a really cool I, choice. Here's the thing. Uh, I'm good with all of them. Yes. If it's a good actor, I will totally... I'm with yeah. 100% but, with you. But I, I, I want the script to be good and the director. Well, yeah, that's, that's the most important thing with Batman the at this point. Like, I'm a, I'm a past, like, who plays Batman? Because, like, anybody can look great in that cow. And there's a lot of actors who could play him. Except for George Clooney. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's except, the you're one absolutely exception. right. Yeah, the last person that really too well adjusted to play Batman. But I think the director is the most important thing for Batman at this point. His yeah. take on the character. Well, okay. We should probably wrap up soon. But yeah. one last weird thing to ask you. I like Batman Forever. But mm-hmm. I, I don't love it. But I like it. It's an enjoyable film. It's kind of like Aquaman to me, oh, but but I hate Batman and Robin. I thoroughly <laughs> do not enjoy that movie. I kind of feel like um, in the last ten years they associate both movies mm-hmm. until I say, "Oh, that's the one with the Riddler." Like, "Oh, that one was good." I was like, "No, you just said you hated it because," and you pointed out Val Kilmer. So yeah. You're, I, what's going on here? I kind of feel like they've lumped both movies together. Do you hate Batman like Forever 2? It's like the Nelson Mandela effect for movies, you know, where people are kind of combining them into one. Batman Forever is not great. 
Yeah. I have a soft spot for the Tommy Lee Jones two-face because I like watching Tommy Lee Jones go crazy. Yeah. So I'm always well, going to be on board for that. I like Jim Carrey. And so I, but to me, yeah. I like both of them because they're going crazy yes. at the same time. Yes. They're scene stealing each o- from each and, other the whole time. And when you find out later, that, especially the last few years, you find out that like, Tommy Lee Jones hated him. Yes. <laughs> was, he's like, I will not sanction this buffoonery. Yeah. You're oh, God. Like, Damn it. And then <laughs> that was amazing. Drew Barrymore, right before she – she was shooting that before she got right. her big comeback with Scream and all that. And I was like, so you, so she's kind of, yeah, cause she, I think she's, yeah. uh, she's uh sugar and, or naughty and nice. She plays one of the angel devil characters. Yes. Plus Tommy Jones. And I'm just like, cool. And then you have Val Kilmer and Nicole yes. Kidman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Nicole Kidman, who's tailor made for that kind of material anyway. Oh like God. she's tailor made to make like this, a femme fatale a without yes. being a femme fatale. Yeah. She was great. And, Chris and that role. I thought was good as Robin. Yeah. For that version of Robin. And honestly, he was the best part of Batman and Robin. And so yeah. was Alicia Silverstone, even though her dialogue was horrible. Um, and the but, guy who played Alfred, who was in all the movies. So, yeah, he's, he's superb. He's superb. And his chemistry with Keaton was awesome in the beginning. Oh, yeah. yeah his, his, I will say that. That's the one thing. Like Even when Clooney was biting it hard throughout the whole movie, <laughs> his, his scenes, because O'Donnell, the scenes were horrible. His scenes with Alfred, like... Mm. And again, it's not Clooney. It's it's all the actor playing right. Alfred. It's just, and I'm looking like like we that that's one constant we've never had a shitty Alfred. We've always had a great Alfred. Isn't that weird? Yes, that's <laughs> the one character they've always nailed. Like Michael Goff, the guy on the TV show was great. In the '66 was was yes. a was was a good Alfred. And then Michael Caine obviously is great. Uh, Jeremy Irons is great. Oh. And Ray Fiennes played him in, in the Batman Lego Batman movie, and I was like, Ray Fiennes is the perfect Alfred. Like he's he's tailor made. He was born to play Alfred. I, I feel like Ray Fiennes has just been uh, actually both Fiennes brothers. They they yeah. One one of them is the is the hotter, good looking one. The other yeah. one is the more actory. Yes, they're both wonderful. They're actors. really good actors. But, no, but, but yeah, Ralph. But Ray, Ray, especially in the last decade, you know, with uh, was it the Grand Budapest Hotel, oh. and then. And uh, Hail Caesar, his scene in that with uh, so, is super. I need to go back and watch that because I watched it late at night because um, that came on HBO right when I was still doing my third shift, and so for, for me it was your guys's early morning waking up, going to work. It was yeah, me coming yeah. home to go to bed, and I was watching it. And I remember, uh, I mean, Brolin was amazing, but mm-hmm. I, I mostly remember the dance scene with uh, what's his <laughs> name uh, from. Oh, you're, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Channing Tatum. You Channing know. Tatum, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great, because people don't realize how brilliant that, that sequence is, because not only it is. is it funny, because of, the, you know, no dames, it is the perfect satire of Stanley Donnan's musical numbers with Gene Kelly. I mean, they get all these nuances and parody them beautifully. It's seamless. It's, I, I, I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan, by the way, oh, yeah. so I'm What's biased. your favorite Coen's film? Raising Arizona is Raising my favorite. Hudsucker Proxy. That's a good one. I, uh, I feel like that one never gets on any list usually. Yeah, yeah. that's I'm a on, fun, yeah. fun movie. I, well, and also, to get back to comic books a little bit, they will, because Sam Raimi helped them write it, they reused dialogue from Hudsucker Proxy as a nod to the Coens in the first Spider-Man movie. They wrote the script to a movie I used to see on HBO all the time, the Coens, that Raimi directed called Crime Wave. It's really obscure. It's from the, like, the late... It's from the mid to late 80s. And I remember watching it. I had no clue who the Coen brothers were at the time or yeah. Sam Raimi. It was just really offbeat. And I'm like, I, this is a comedy, but it's also kind of creepy. But it's funny. But it's a comedy. And and I was processing it like, this is so unique. Later on, I find out that movie was written by the Coen brothers. Like, yeah, of course. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I just, well, I also like that their friendship is still... 
Yeah. Like, they do sometimes subtle nods to each other in their films. It's not as prevalent anymore, but, like, the car that Raimi has, I think the Coens, the car that's in Evil Dead in all the, in Raimi's yeah. movies, like, the Coens are somehow tied to that car. <laughs> I forget <laughs> how, I think they used the car, they borrowed the car from him to do, was it one of their first, was it Blood Simple one of the first Yeah, ones? Blood Simple is the very first I film feel they like directed. That, I feel yeah. like that car's in that. It film. probably is. And, and yeah. they borrowed it from Raimi, and, or something like that, and so it's always, t- it's, so no matter what, Raimi always does a reference to the Coens just oh, by that alone. There's so many tracking shots in, like, Raising Arizona that are, like, nods to the Evil Dead movies, I think, because it's almost, oh. you know, like, when they're showing the baby's point of view and stuff like that in, in the <sighs> film. I need to. I I just I just need to do a deep dive of all of Cohen stuff because I yeah. watched the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and that was so good. Yeah. That was, you know what? Uh, so I guess my kind of closing thoughts on yeah. this to wrap it up a little bit, and I'll let you get your closing thoughts in. Is that in the same regard, I enjoyed that movie. That was a bummer. Have you yeah. seen Buster Scruggs? I haven't seen it yet. That's the one uh, Cohen's movie. So I have not it's an anthology to. series, but it's a it's a lot of a bummer. <laughs> um, uh. But it's. It's Cohen, so it's, it's great. very good. Yeah, and by the way, uh, if you get to the part with Liam Neeson, th- there's the kid in that is the fat kid from Harry Potter that would torture Harry. Jesus, and wow. he is super good looking. It's the joke that Neville. It's like Neville got hot. It's it's not <laughs> Neville, but it's another. It's the other actor. But you're yeah. like, and it's he's really good too. And I and it took me. So I was like, I know this kid. Who is he? Who is he? And I was like, oh shit, it's. It's yeah, it's his stepbrother from Harry Potter. Holy uh-huh. shit, dude got buff. But no, no, it's even James Franco one is really funny. And when you see it, uh he plays a bank robber who keeps getting mm-hmm. put a noose around his neck. It's so funny, but it it's just the whole thing is like that kind I of I got to see it. I I I've been, yeah. I've, been I've been uh slacking on um, that film and I well, shouldn't be. to be fair though, it's on Netflix, so it That's it, probably it, what threw me off, It's you know? weird because even me I was just like I feel weird Either for me, the Cohen movie is either it's on HBO or it's in the theater. Yes, it's nowhere else. Right, I'm not going to watch it on AMC. Yeah, like, I feel the same way. It was only, almost like I'm quietly rebelling not have to watch it on Netflix. The almost. only movie you ever really should watch on AMC <laughs> when they aired is Jaws. Yeah, because they aired all the time and they really don't cut anything out unless no. it's for time. And even then, they just let it run over. No, and they also show it like a million times. So it's like, it's great. <laughs> uh, but. Um, no, I, I kind of feel like it's a very good movie, and I do want to watch Buster Shrugs one day again, but I feel Joker's the same way. And granted, Joker does way more. Mm-hmm. I mean, no offense to the Coens on that, but it's an anthology series looking at all types of different humans. This yeah. is focusing... It's it's narrowing its focus a little bit more. Right. Because, uh, again, it's a different f- kind of film. But in terms of bridging what I was trying, that, that two metaphors, I guess you could say, was is that... I enjoyed the film. I do want to see it eventually, but right now my mindset is I'm good for the moment. Yes, and I will. I will appreciate, it. and especially after letting it sit for a few days before we recorded this, because I saw it Thursday too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really just I, it's going to take me more time to see it, and, and I feel like you maybe not as much. Uh, maybe I, 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 I haven't rushed out to see it like I like oh, I usually go to yeah. see a movie like this, and, I, and because the same reasons you mentioned, like it's a tough watch, and you know I, I want to let it simmer a bit, then I'll go back and see it again. Yeah. At some point, it's it's the anti Infinity War where you wanted to watch it a million times after seeing it because it was so much fun. One hundred percent accurate. And I loved, I loved the. I, oh God, I can't tell you how much I love that movie because I hit all the Saturday morning cartoon beats for me when I saw it. Oh yeah, uh, it was great. Uh, but the Joker is an actual character study 
that's dark and you're in this guy's mind. You need a break from that after a while. You need yeah. to get back and and watch uh, something light and fluffy. <laughs> you really do. You really, you really need like, to balance that well, out. That's why, like, that's no disrespect like to the film. It's just oh, how no, you not, have to com- well, no, process it's, it's it. It's like when you watch Schindler's List. Yes. fantastic movie. I I try to watch it every five years or so, within five years, because it's one of those things you just shouldn't forget. You should always yeah. remember. I mean, and, and of course, I break down like a little girl every time he goes. I could have sold my car. And yeah. you, you realize like, oh, you've learned from this like, yes. as a character. But like, and you know, there's some supposed truth to some of that where he wished he could have done more and he didn't, he realized he didn't act as soon as he possibly could have. And that in itself is just so tragic because so many it more is. lives were lost, but he did so good too. He can't, he's blind. And then he kind of ends poor and destitute, you know? And it's just like, oh, yeah, dude, you did, but you did such a great thing. I mean, I don't think he'll ever. I don't, before he died, I don't think he ever truly appreciated that. But, but that's one of those movies where it's like, yeah, you don't yeah. want to just watch it and go, "Let me watch that one again." Yeah, that yeah, was good. that was a crowd pleaser. I'm uh, balancing <laughs> it out this week by watching Rocky, which is a, a movie oh. about an outlier who triumphs. There you go. That's well, the anti Joker. Well, doesn't uh, well, he triumphs? But doesn't he still lose at the end of the first movie? He, or is that two? He loses the match, but he gains self respect. <laughs> So, but, that, but that is good. That is self-fulfillment good. actually is a better way. You know, I think he kind of respects himself. because I think he respects himself. Uh, yeah. I think Adrian has a little bit more yeah. respect for him. And then I forget. This is how long. It's been a long time <laughs> seeing Rocky. But like uh, uh, Burgess Meredith, ah, Rocky, go yeah, in there. Yeah. He has respect for him. You need a manager. You need a manager. Yeah. I ain't got no management. <laughs> I'm 76 years old. I'm tired. And, and then cut um, to his career later when he did Grumpy Old Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like... Oh, which is like <laughs> there you go burgess yeah i mean but he, yeah yeah he's a good actor uh, and he's a penguin that ties him into batman so the original yep yep the original batman's uh, penguin oh, so frank gorshman was the riddler yeah. and cesar romero was the joke yeah cesar jo- romero was the original joker who painted over some mustache well i get that though i yeah, a lot of people make fun of him like, they're still making fun of that occasionally and yeah. it's just like no, dude's bread and butter was his mustache. Was his mustache? Yeah, no, he was a he was a Latino lover. That was his reputation. Was like could. the Latin lover. I get that. And I was like, dude, if yeah. this is the money maker. I'm not going to cut that off. Paint not over that shit. And it's, or nowadays, it's like a uh, CGI. <laughs> <laughs> he captured the Joker, man. I'll give him that much. Uh, like, yeah. He still did all the giggles and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He, had, he had all the Joker beats you needed. Even when the show time. got a little like, especially if you watch it now. Back then, it was considered. Like top level, but if you watch it now, it's it's campy. Yeah. Um. Even well, I heard people say back then it was kind of campy, but it was still enjoyable. Right now, it, you have to have your brain in a different. Mode. Yeah, it's a '60s but, show all the way. Yeah, but I just remember there's that one scene where he's talking to Batman on the phone, and very clearly Adam West is like, "From where you and I are." Yeah. And he can't fucking hear Batman. Calm <laughs> the fuck on. There's a great bit on the TV show, and it it's clearly intentional. I think Adam West kind of pioneered the Leslie Nielsen style of comedy that we loved in the '80s. I think yeah. he. Was the one who really did that 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 deadpan style of comedy there's a great scene where commissioner gordon calls batman up in the back oh and he calls adam west yes can i speak to he's talking to both bruce wayne and batman and he doesn't change his voice at all he just goes yes commissioner this is batman hi this is bruce wayne it's the same voice it's clearly a joke and he plays it beautifully it's funny uh yeah, yeah he's I, d- beautiful. I don't remember that scene but it, it hit the rounds on twitter like a month or two ago yeah and and i was just like this is gold it is it is there's another clip too where and it's just you feel bad because they were talking about how you feel bad for uh was it burt ward who played mm-hmm. robin because he never gets a cool prop maybe he's always like 
you know, yeah. rubbing his fist together, going, "Gee, golly, Batman!" Yeah. Blah 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 blah. But they, uh, Adam West, hands something to the Commissioner Gordon. Gordon hands it to him, and the, you can tell they were supposed to maybe zoom in to because it's supposed to be like a, a sleight yeah. of hand. He's supposed to put like something the size of a window frame down his pants pocket, and it it's awkward as fuck. <laughs> it's just the awkward thing, and you just and I just go. Oh, they did you wrong, Bert. <laughs> they did you wrong because his mind. He's like, they're zooming in. They're going to cut around this, and they don't. It's just one master shot. One of my favorite moments from the series is, uh, I guess, Catwoman. They have they capture Catwoman, and they're like taking her. I think to the police station. I, I forget the context, but I know she's going. Like they're at a station, like a train station. She goes, "There's a vending machine," and she's like, "Batman, can I go buy a candy bar?" And he goes, "Well, you know, a fresh fruit would be more appropriate." <laughs> <laughs> God, dear God! And they would always park. They would always have to make sure they they parked legally <laughs> with a Batmobile. That was my favorite. I always trope. So that's that is a joke to me. That I think back then they were more sincere with it, but they weren't. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I feel like for when it came out, they were being sincere. Had to make sure kids are following, following the, the rules. rules. Yeah, but I feel like that's a joke they would put in Tiny Teens or Animaniacs. Yeah, where they're like. It's like because we have we have we have a sensor who wants us to t- teach you something. Yeah, maybe you should have some fruit. But also, isn't candy great? <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> like they actually have yeah. a song in AMAX where they go, "Hey, let's this candy bar. Let's see what's inside it." And they just read off all the things at the end. Right. And it's like we eat sweets a lot, but they make your insides rot. So remember, it's your body and the only one you got. But, right? Yeah, it, that's but, great. But, well, the whole song is just them peeing out on candy and <laughs> ice cream, and it's, it's so good. Um, so Joker. No, no. So Joker. It's a good thing I was the only guest on, by the way, tonight. Oh my god, this would have been pure. I know insanity. this would have been yeah. off the charts. I definitely recommend people check it out, especially for people who normally don't go out of their way to see a comic book movie or a yeah. film based on a comic book. This is something. If you love character studies, if you're a fan of early Scorsese, especially. Mm-hmm. This is definitely for you. If you're not into like the darker aspects, it, don't expect it to be a superhero movie. Yeah, a lighthearted, big budget blockbuster romp. It is a dark, sad, tragic. So movie. if so, for all you youngins out there, if you're not familiar with Scorsese, maybe you're familiar with Manchester by the Sea. That mm-hmm. little ditty. It's it's <laughs> that level of mm, yes, some stuff like. You're in Boston and it's gray all the time. Yes. <laughs> it's that level of, of Gotham City, which it is. is um, and it's well, very well done, though. Um, not to say Manchester wasn't, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it, as a comic book movie, that's a character study. It's very well done. It's very well it handled. Is. It's expertly done. And yeah, I think you should. I, that's the other thing, too. Even though I feel I don't want to watch again, I, was, I said that to someone the other day and they're like, I don't think I want to see it now. Basically, it was like, no, no, no. You need to see it. Yeah. I think that everyone should see this movie so they can just. We need to have a conversation about a lot of things this movie addresses too. That's Agreed. The so main that's what I'm saying. So even it. if you feel yeah. like I felt when you walk out, I still feel like it's important that you have that in your brain so you can now talk about it and you can process it with what the movie was trying to talk about and say. And yeah, I, yeah. So, um, all right. Well, uh, Sean, thank you so much for being on. Uh, we it. we just uh, went all over the place. We'll see how much gets keeps kept <laughs> yes, in. Exactly. But uh, but in all honesty, though, uh, if if you like to hear us talk Looney Tunes or just hear any conversation with his brother and Tony, please go to. It would be uh, Cinema Wheeler Day. Cinema Wheeler Day dot 
podbean.com is our main site, and you can also find us on iTunes and, and other outlets. If you Google Cinema Wheeler Tay, you should be able to find us there as well. And if you're lazy like myself, it will be in the show notes. Yes. Um, so it, you can click on that. And, as a matter of fact, I'll probably put like your iTunes and I'll put the Podbean one. So you can best of both worlds. And I, again, I'm thank here you. to help fellow lazies. Like that's me. right, yeah. So, um, but again, thank you, man, for doing this. And it's our season finale, so and a great one at that. So, Oh, thank so you for much. having me. I had a great time. Yeah, of course. You're a creep! Go away! We're having a good time until you start up, cheapers! Go have some coffee with cream or something! Because I'll tell you something! This is a happy place! <laughs>